So, um, we'd like to welcome everyone to One Murder at a Time. It's our new podcast, and I'm Mandy, and I'm Tracy, and we'd like to tell you a little bit about what we're going to be doing here since this is the first ever episode. First one. Yeah, pretty exciting, Mm -hmm. huh? So, Tracy and I are both really big true crime enthusiasts, and um, we enjoy researching these cases and bringing them to... Um, our listeners, maybe putting a new perspective out there, possibly, we like to kind of concentrate on the community, how these crimes may have affected the community, and um, any policy changes and laws that came about because of these. I guess we'll tell a little bit about ourselves before we get started. Um, I am uh, 43. And I have one son, I'm married, and um, I work at a university. I do have a paralegal degree, so I've always been involved uh, and interested in legal cases and how um, the system works. So as long as I can remember, we've always been really... This is something that Fascinated. we were, yeah, like we always like, this is what we like to discuss and everything. So. We get that from our mother. Yeah, yeah, our mom was very big into it as well and always reading true crimes, you know, books and things like that, so. Yeah, um, well, I am about to turn 40, not 40 yet, still in the 30s club. Well, I'm technically 42, let me put that out there, I'll be 43 <laughs> till the end of the year. <laughs> but, um. I am married to our handsome producer, Paul. He's shaking his head at me because apparently he didn't want me to say that, but that's okay. We have our two puppies who are currently locked away because one cannot quit making so much noise to disturb this maiden voyage of our uh, One Murder at a Time podcast. Uh, I have uh, been interested in the psychological aspect of true crime as a screenwriter. I've been writing screenplays since I was 18 years old and have have one optioned. I haven't had one sold yet, but uh, fingers crossed for that. Hopefully this will open some new opportunities out for us as far as, you know, getting new stories and getting new ideas for scripts. And, you know, we thought we'd just see where this goes. Okay, so um, that's a little bit about us, and I think the we chose our first um, episode, the case for our first episode, I should say, because this one actually happened relatively close by to where we were living at the time. Um, Tracy and I actually lived together in a townhouse. Good and, times, good times. Yeah, yeah very good times. Um, but um, <laughs> so we were actually able to see firsthand how this trial like just captivated the area and how people were talking about it and they actually live streamed all the trials and things like people were so invested in it that um you know it it kind of took over the whole news cycle um it captivated everybody that's for sure yeah definitely so had a lot of ramifications as well I think you know a lot of things were brought up because of this case and so I think it's a good one to start with. And like I said, it's for us, it was personal because we actually lived as a uh, member of the community. 
in January of 2007, we were living in Sevier County, Tennessee. Uh, this case is about Shannon Christian and Chris Newsom. Uh, they were a young couple that was living in Knoxville at the time. Shannon was a 21-year-old senior at the University of Tennessee. She was studying sociology, I believe. She was also employed at a shoe store at um, Westtown Mall in Knoxville. Uh, she wasn't originally from Knoxville. She had moved to the Farragut area from Louisiana in the late 90s. I think around 97. Yeah. Uh, her boyfriend, Chris Newsom, he was 23 at the time. Uh, he had been a standout baseball player in, uh, at Halls High School in Knoxville. Um, he had attended Pellissippi State Community College, which is also in the Knoxville area. But he was uh, working as a carpenter for his day job. And we were actually talking about this when we started researching things that we may not have known about the case, that they hadn't been together too long at this time. Yeah, I don't know why. Um, at the time when this was happening, I just kind of got the impression that they were a long-time couple, that they had maybe even been high school sweethearts or something. But mm -hmm. um, doing research for this, I found out that was not the case, that they had actually only been dating for a few months. So, you know, it doesn't really change anything in terms of the, um, you know, circumstances of the uh, crimes, but it just kind of, I don't know why, you know, sometimes you get impressions of things, and that was just one thing. I think all the pictures that were circulating yeah. at the time of the, it seemed like they had, even though they, they were close, but I think too, like, they always use the same ones, and, that, and looking back, that's probably why, because there weren't that many. They didn't many. have a ton, like, they would have. But I didn't think that at the time, it's just, just looking at the picture, I just thought they were probably, yeah. they had been together for a long time. I and, believe they met through a mutual friend, okay. is what I uh, had researched a little bit, that they had met through a mutual friend and just kind of started dating. Yeah, and they fell pretty hard for each other quick yeah i think because i think it was in november of 2006 yeah november is what i so just a couple months they really didn't get a a lot to uh a lot of time with each other which is something else that's just tragic that adds to this all right so basically um we're looking at january 6 2007 as the um, first day of these crimes actually this takes place over a few days um, so Chris and Shannon were, um, going to meet up and go to a birthday party. And apparently Shannon was at her friend's house and I believe her friend's name was Kara. Mm -hmm. And this is the Washington Ridge apartments in Knoxville. And Chris, I guess, had been out. I, I think he may have been playing golf or, or something. So. Mm -hmm. he, and um, he was going to meet Shannon at the apartment, and they were going to go to the party together. And those apartments, they were in East Knoxville. Is that right? Um, those Washington Ridge apartments? I can't, I can't remember if it's East or South Knoxville. Not the greatest section of Knoxville. Mm -hmm. um, Knoxville, I don't know how many people are that familiar with the area, but... There are very affluent areas of Knoxville, and there are, just like any city or any location, you know, there are areas where, you know, it's maybe not as, you know. Well, you have West uh, West Knoxville, where most of the doctors from UT live. and Probably a lot of professors. A lot of professors from UT, and... Um, it's just, it's a very nice area. Um, you can tell that the... Um, 
income level there is quite a bit higher than in other areas. And um, Shannon was actually from the west area of Knoxville. I think her um, dad worked at a car dealership. In Alcoa, I believe. And so, um, so yeah, you know, these were kids that were, you know, I I don't want to say that they were, you know, from, you know, higher class or anything like that, but I think that they weren't probably, you know. They probably didn't worry about the things in West Knoxville that you would worry about in, like, East and South Knoxville. Right. It's just a different um, mentality, I guess. Um. So anyhow, they were, uh, Shannon was at her friend's apartment waiting for Chris. They were going to meet up and go to a birthday party. Chris and Shannon had met in the parking lot or either he had gone into the apartment and they had come out. I don't know. And um, they were at her forerunner. Mm-hmm. Which the forerunner plays a big part in this. Yes. yes. So Shannon had a, a Toyota forerunner. Um, I believe if I'm remembering correctly, they, the door was open and Chris was outside the car and Shannon was inside the car. Shannon was in behind the wheel. Yes. And he was standing there talking to her. Yes. 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 Because she had been waiting on him to go to this party. Right. Right. So, um, as they are standing there at the forerunner, there are four, um, individuals in a, um, white SUV um, pull up, they, um, force Chris into the back seat and push Shannon over, if I'm remembering correctly, and get into her vehicle and leave. So this begins the carjacking. Right. The carjacking takes place first. And, um, I think the time for that is around between 10 and 11 o'clock, I think is what I remember reading. So these suspects, individuals who, um, have, carjacked Shannon Christian and Chris Newsom. Um, they are LaMarcus Davidson. He went by Slim. Uh, he is the ringleader, according to the um, other perpetrators in this case. Uh, he was 26 at the time. He was from Memphis, Tennessee. Um, he had actually just gotten out of prison in Memphis for aggravated robbery and carjacking. He hadn't been out not long. long. It was weeks, I think. Yeah, it definitely wasn't a long period of time between his release and this crime. Yes. And then we have his, I think he was his half-brother. Yes. uh, Latalvis Cobbins, who went by Rome. Uh, He was living in Kentucky at the time of the murders with his uh, girlfriend, Vanessa Coleman. Uh, They had come down at um, LaMarcus's request. Well, I I think there, there has been testimony that... LaMarcus had basically told them that he wanted to commit a crime. From what I've read, he wanted to do a carjacking because that's what he had done before. Um, This He's just a really, really bad guy, LaMarcus Davidson. Yes, and as we were talking earlier, too, there's also a book written by his cellmate. Mm-hmm. that talks about exactly how evil a person he is. Um, I know people probably would have qualms about, you know, believing what another, you know, convicted But it's called the most evil say. person I've ever met. So, so that's pretty... <laughs> it, it's, it's pretty damning. Um, I hadn't had the chance to read it, but I know that that individual is currently working with the uh, Newsom family to get more charges brought, um, you know, in the case. 
Uh, so, uh, like I said, we have Vanessa Coleman, who was the girlfriend of uh, Latavis Cobbins. She came down with him from Kentucky because she was living with him in Kentucky. Uh, we also have George Thomas, who was friends with Cobbins and Coleman. He uh, went by Detroit or G. Uh, it, he goes by both, apparently. Uh, he was down there at the time of the murders. And then Eric Boyd. Not as much is known about Eric Boyd. Um, well, in the beginning, they thought he was involved in the carjacking, and that was pretty much um, his role. Yes. That after the carjacking, he left and was not seen again. And there is still a little bit of truth to that, because I think he was never really involved with what happened in the house. Right. They never could pinpoint him right. to the house. And from... Honestly, from what I, all the testimony that we've watched and read, I believe that that's probably true, but he had a much larger part than just the carjacking, right. as it has turned out. And I think a lot of people believe that from the beginning, but the evidence was not easy to come by with that. Um, but at this point, it was thought that he was just a part of the carjacking, that he drove the car to the Washington Ridge Apartments, and... Um, basically that that was his role right okay so this is where it gets a little foggy for people because it you don't know exactly because the testimony from all the defendants is completely different when it comes to this part so at this point Lamarcus Davidson had rented a house on Chipman Street and if you're familiar with Knoxville at all Chipman Street is off the Cherry, Cherry Street, Street exit yeah. and like we said, it's a bad area of Knoxville. Um, but he had rented a house there. Small house. I think it was like less than a thousand square feet. It was feet. very small. I think it was... Didn't like even have eight, doors. Yeah, it didn't even have doors. I think it was like eight, around 850 Yeah, it was less than a thousand square feet. Could, so nothing could go on in this house without you knowing. You would not think like, so. Unless somebody was... Right. Yeah. Also, just a side note on that. He rented the house with his girl, girlfriend, Daphne... Yes. Um, Daphne Sutton, I think is her name. Yes. And um, she had recently moved out. Yes, they had broken up. They had broken up. So, um, you know, that adds a little bit of element, you know, that there may be some more drama behind, you know. Yes. But she was not living at the house at the time. And that doesn't seem to be disputed by anyone. No. Um, she worked at a local Sonic. Yeah. So the only people who were technically living in the house... I guess the only person was LaMarcus. Right. Um, so all of these three, you know, um, Latalvis, George, and Vanessa came down from Kentucky. So the only one who actually belongs in the house is LaMarcus. And Eric Boyd was from Knoxville. Knoxville. He was from the Knoxville area, yeah. Right. Okay. So, like I said, this is where it gets a little foggy as far as testimony. But according to Vanessa Coleman, she was at the house, and they pull up the two SUVs. Shannon Christian's Forerunner, which has a university, has the power T for the University of Tennessee fans, has a power T in the back glass. The other vehicle, Latavis Coffins, is driving. So the four pull up to the house, and there are conflicting reports whether or not Chris Newsom actually entered the house. Mm hmm. Yes, um, from everything that I've gathered, 
I don't think he was ever actually in the house. Um, there's really no evidence to suggest he was. Mm-hmm. Um, it just doesn't appear that that was the case. Correct. Um, I don't know what anyone would have to gain by saying he was. Because I, I know at one point there was, um, and I can't remember where it came from, saying there was testimony, I believe, that he entered the house. But from all that I have researched, I don't believe that that's the case. Right. And there are conflicting reports that he even pulled up to the house, that he was taken directly to the train tracks. Right. So. There are also some conflicting reports. Um, I don't know when this occurred, There that they actually took Shannon's uh, forerunner to an ATM. Yes. And that was, um, there was a testimony from a worker who um, had gotten to work um, at a place that's nearby the Chipman Street house, and he testified that he saw four men in a forerunner. And it was, you know, late at night, and he testified that it was, um, I believe he said four African Americans who were in the forerunner. So it wouldn't be Shannon and Chris. Right. Um, so, I, you know, at some point, there's a lot in this timeline that we can't, place can't fully piece together right because it's so conflicting with each testimony so we're moving into the late hours of january 6th into january 7th and january 6th was saturday yes so we're moving into sunday early 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 sunday Sunday morning so basically the way that um things start to unfold shannon apparently at some point had called and told her, um, I can't remember if it's her mother or her father, that she would not be coming home, that she was going to stay at her friend's house. Mm-hmm. And um, it is believed that this was after they had been carjacked. Yes, that this um, she was at the house at this point, yes. the house on Chipman Street. Right. So I think I guess they were trying to create um, time, I guess, so yeah. that maybe people wouldn't start looking for them. But apparently... People started worrying about Shannon and Chris because they didn't show up at the party. And Kara, her friend, that, you know, she left the, she was at her apartment waiting for Chris, had called her cell phone numerous times, didn't get an answer. And so between the weird phone call saying I'm not coming home and Kara saying they never showed up, people start to um, actually look for them. And I think the police were even called. Um you know, that they did not know where they were. Mm-hmm. So that, you know, so you have that aspect that the parents are starting to, you know, wonder, you know, where they are because no one could get in touch with them. But then on uh, January 7th, a worker, and I don't know if he worked at the rail, rail I believe yard. he was a, some kind of engineer or something like that with the uh, railroad. Okay. So um, he discovers a body, um, that was um, burning, or had it was still smoking, I think. Um, that's how he noticed he saw smoke. So um, the body was found, and the police were called for that. Gary Christian, Shannon's, uh, Shannon's father. father, had gotten in touch, because the police wouldn't do anything yet, because they hadn't been missing for, you know, the required amount of time. But he was able to get in touch with the phone company to get a ping on her cell phone. Right, yes. Which put the ping off the Cherry Street exit, which alerted him anyway because he didn't think his daughter would be in that area. area. 
When she was supposed to be at a party with her friends, right. so why would she be in a totally different area? Right. So that starts, like, the, the family and the friends searching and stuff like that. Right. So we have the family and the friends are out searching, and now the uh, body has been found. Um, so basically, I guess there is a, there's a lot of conflicting information as to what exactly happened as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but just the uh, brutality and the Absolutely. cruelty yeah. the, of this is it's very hard to comprehend and you know like i said it, it's there's a lot of information and there's a lot of testimony and none of them really line up together i think the closest they came were um Latalvis and George Thomas's testimonies were fairly close they were close yes um Basically, they're all saying this is LaMarcus's fault. You know, he wanted to commit a crime. And, um, you know, they were afraid of him, basically, um, is what they claim, that um, they were afraid for their lives. But they're- Which may be legitimate, but why would you come down to begin with? Oh, hey, I want to commit a crime. If you're so terrified of this why would you even man, come why would you even Kentucky? come? He's in a different state. Why yeah, would you even? doesn't really make sense. Yeah. Um, I think that you'll see throughout that each of these um, people who were involved in this had opportunity. If they had wanted to not be part of this, they could have um, gotten out. So yeah, it, it's kind of um, not believable for well, them to say that they were basically terrified. coerced into this. Yeah. Um, now, whether or not they would have done this on their own, I don't know. That is something, you know, that could be debated. But when it, the situation was presented, they, I think they were willing participants. And well, I think that, that becomes obvious. In, yes, exactly. So the body of Chris Newsom is found. He was shot three times and was sodomized so bad that in testimony, the um, forensic it's the medical examiner. The medical examiner. She was very good in the trials. If um, you ever want to go back and listen, she was very solid. Um, yeah, she was phenomenal. They tried to trip her up several times, and it just didn't work. Um, she said that he was sodomized so bad with an object that his insides were completely destroyed. Just It, it was completely brutal, and um, that happened while he was alive. Well, the aunt, yes, that happened while he was alive. So he's shot three times. He is raped. He is. They put a bag over his head and then set him on fire. And they stole his shoes. And they stole his shoes. He was barefoot. Yes. So you have that. Um, and they tried to, I guess the fire, they tried to um, destroy evidence, basically, with the fire. Right. Correct. Which actually worked to an extent because this is the reason that they have a hard time pinning charges on them in regards to Chris because there is no DNA. They don't know exactly who did exactly. what. With exactly. Him. I mean, they were all there with him at some point. But, yes, we don't know exactly. We have a pretty good idea. Well, we think Eric Boyd played a bigger part in Yes, Chris this is Newsom. where it comes back yes. to, you know, he probably wasn't ever involved with Shannon so much. Well, he was never in the house, according to... Yes. Evident, physical evidence yeah. anyway. They couldn't pinpoint him to the house. Right. but And they also couldn't pinpoint him to Chris because the evidence had been burned. Right. Um, however, testimony 
from a couple of the um, other perpetrators, Latalvis Cobbins and George Thomas, um, both place Eric Boyd at um, Chris Newsom's murder site. So at this point, if Chris and the four perpetrators are at the train tracks and Shannon Christian is at the house, yes, who does that mean is with Shannon Christian? Vanessa. Just her and Shannon were at, in the house by themselves. According to multiple testimonies, and like I said, some of them say one thing, some of them say the other. So. Well, and also the testimony about the four guys being in the forerunner. So she was with her by herself while, while they, they were in to... the forerunner. So, I mean, there were opportunities for her. They had cell phones. If she was so terrified. Right. She could have called the police. She could have ran and got help if she didn't want to take her with her. All it would have taken was a call to 911 saying, hey, get to this address. Well, because they were already alerted that, well, there's a body been found at this point. And the uh, Christian family was already involved with the police telling them, you know, they didn't show up. She didn't show up for work that morning, Mm -hmm. remember? And uh, so there was ample opportunity for her to do the right thing and she did not so yeah so yeah that just that's one of the things and we'll get to something else later um in terms of Vanessa and her involvement because um you know she may not we don't know that she was a physical participant as far as like did she do anything to the victims probably not with Chris because we don't believe he was probably ever in the house um with Shannon, it doesn't appear that she physically assaulted her or anything. There's no evidence of that. No one's testified to that. Um, but she definitely was a, um, you know, she was definitely a participant in terms of um, being there. And, you know, you can't just allow this kind of thing to happen. Especially, like you said, she had opportunity being in the house with Shannon by herself for an extended period of time mm-hmm. and um, could have definitely, she actually could have been a hero in the situation. Yeah. Um, you she know. had opportunity. Yeah. So, yeah, we don't really have any um, sympathy for her. No, I don't have <laughs> so, sympathy for any of them. So, no, not at all. But, um, so anyhow, Shannon's ordeal was probably, um, I, you don't even really want to think about it. No. I mean, it's probably stuff of horror movie um it just terrible, terrible. So, um, she was raped, um, at least by two of the, um, at least by LaMarcus and LaTalvis. Yes. Um, because, um, LaTalvis, I think he admitted. He, yes. He said that she offered oral sex to get out of the house. Yes. Which, okay. Really? Even if she did, the, what kind of man? Well, and, <laughs> well, not only that, but the evidence shows that the four, like her cheek was torn, um, her gum had been separated from her yeah. Uh, teeth. Yeah, it and was like it was forced. It was forced. Yeah, it was not something that was done willingly. Um, and like we said, like several of the testimonies in this case. They said they didn't know what was going on in this bedroom. This back bedroom of this Chipman Street house, it, like we said... Did not have a door. Did not have a door. They had curtains up. Um, Somebody was not getting raped in the next room without a door, and nobody knew what going on. It, it, It just doesn't happen. And so she went through this. She was raped, 
multiple ways by multiple people. Mm-hmm. Um, at least two. At least two. Um, Vanessa Coleman, I keep coming back to her because I really do think, that, I think it bothers me that a woman saw this happening to another woman and didn't do anything. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, this could have easily been her you know, in this situation. Well, if she was so scared for her life and she knew that this was going on, I mean, would I don't understand why you wouldn't get out at the very least. Well, she woke up and made breakfast for all yeah. of them. Yeah, it's just, it's, yeah. Like, we're not talking is, about she um, just fried an egg. I mean, she made, like, a, a biscuits and gravy and, you know, eggs, bacon, sausage. I mean, she... You don't do that if you're terrified. Traumatized. And, you know, just terrified. No, it makes no sense. And in this day, day and a half, two days that Shannon Christian is at the house, there are multiple people who are associates of LaMarcus Davidson that show up. They're not, they don't necessarily come in the house, but they show up to the Chipman Street address. Mm-hmm. And at several points, LaMarcus leaves the house. He steals from Shannon Christian and takes stuff to Daphne, yeah, his, his ex-girlfriend, to try to win her back. He gave her. He told her he had a bag of clothes that he had gotten from like a secondhand store or something, and so he gave her because Shannon had these in her Forerunner. Right. Um. She had clothes that she was getting ready to take to Goodwill, and you know everybody's done that where you bag up your clothes and you, you leave put, them there. Forever. You put them in your trunk and you leave them. You yeah. just don't ever. Get around to do it until, like, you really have to. Um, so she had um, bags of clothes in her forerunner that she was going to donate. And he took the bags of clothes and gave them to his ex-girlfriend, Daphne. Um, so she actually um, had Shannon's clothes. Um, but if I'm remembering correctly, she actually came to pick the clothes up at the, at the house. She did. But all testimony says that she did not come in the ha- inside the house, that she just came to the front door he gave her the clothes, and she left. Honestly, I think he was just trying to get rid of evidence. I don't think that he um, was trying to, like, win her back or anything like that. I think at this point it was purely just to get rid of the clothes, um, and that was the easiest way. Well, and from listening to her testimony, because she testified in all the trials, um, I really don't think she knew what was going on in that house. It doesn't appear that she did. From what I recall, as far as... I mean, you can question her um, choice in partners. Oh, yeah, absolutely. um, Based on, you know, But she did get away from him, so... Yeah, but he had already, you know, been in jail for um, aggravated robbery and carjacking. Well... (laughs) But whatever, you know, people... (laughs) I guess people can change, but... um, So, back to um, the parents are trying to search right now because they realize something's going on. So, um, like we said, the law enforcement, they, were, they weren't willing to help at this point because they were, hadn't been missing for that well, long. Well, and they were both over 18. They were, um, yeah. You know. They thought they were probably just off somewhere together or, right. or whatever. Um, so, like we said, um, Gary Christian, Shannon Christian's father, got help from the uh, phone company to find out, you know, if there's anything where, where she was last and they pinged her phone off the Cherry Street exit, which is near Chipman Street. Yes. You get off the Cherry Street exit to go to Chipman Street. And that's where they found her forerunner. Yes. Correct? Yes. They found her forerunner parked at the end of 
It was right up the street from the Shipman Street house, from LaMarcus's house. There was a gas station not far off of the Cherry Street exit. And so when you get off this exit, you basically go back, I think it's like three or four streets to get to Chipman Street. So they found her car the next street up at the end of the street. Is that correct? I actually thought it was just up from the house. On Chipman Street? Yeah, it was actually on the same street. Does Gary get in the car? Or, or does he call the police when he I finds the car? I think he calls the police when he finds the car, and then they come and open the car. Well, Gary, Christian, noticed that um, it was filthy, and he said that, you know, he, he was a car guy. He, he sold cars and all that, and his daughter did not leave her car trashed. Like, right. That that was unacceptable. Well, and the uh, seat position was, like, pushed way back because Shannon was not a tall person, um, so she couldn't reach the right. uh, pedals if... And there was mud in the floorboards. Mud in the floor. There were cigarette packs. Yes. Um, just things that were out of place. Correct. The UT sticker had been removed from the back of the car. Yes. yes. I guess in an attempt to throw people throw off. Throw people off. That's not her car. Cause yeah. If I'm not mistaken, they may have taken the license plates, like either switched them or taken them off, I think, as well. Mm-hmm. I think there was reports of that. Of something. Yeah. Like, yeah. But I know for sure that the um, sticker was ripped off. But she had pictures of her and uh, Chris that were also taken from the vehicle that she had um, left in the car at all times. So um, inside the car, they find a receipt. Yes, yes. And this receipt plays a huge part in this case. It's taken back to the crime lab at um, Knoxville Police Department. Right. And fingerprints are run on this. And what did we find? Immediate hit comes back that it belongs to LaMarcus Davidson. So this is the night. This is Sunday night. Is that right? It's Sunday, yeah. So Shannon Christian has been in this house for over 24 hours at this point. Yeah. So we're leading up into the early morning hours of the 8th, the late night hours of the 7th. Right. When when the fingerprint is found on right. this receipt. Because you're looking at it's Sunday is the 7th. Yes. So there's not everyone working in the crime lab at this time. There's one person. Right. So that plays a big um, part in this as well. But yes, it does lead them to LaMarcus's house. But they can't go directly to LaMarcus's house because they have to have two verifications on the print. So they wait till the next morning when someone else comes in to verify the print. Yes. To get the second verification. Yes, that was a testimony that... Kind of threw me a little bit. Yeah. Um, it's like we have two people missing. We already have a one body. body is found. Mm-hmm. And um, we need another. I don't really understand. This is someone who's recently out of prison uh, for you know aggravated that uh, was robbery poli- Yeah, that was their policy at the time that they verified that there was a fingerprint. And they had, they had the suspect. But they had to have somebody else verify that that print did indeed match yes. whoever they brought up. It had to be two verifications. And um, the man who ran the fingerprint actually even drove by the Chipman Street house yes. when he left work because he, he, he knew. Because they already knew when they pulled up LaMarcus Davidson, they knew that he was written this house on Chipman Street just blocks from where her car was already found. So I don't really know why there wasn't a sense of urgency right there. I, yeah. I, I, don't I mean, either. call somebody in. I, I, I don't know why that was not 
Well, and, and you know, that's not a situation that would happen that often in the area. So right. in this situation, I think it's appropriate to be like, hey, you have to come in right now and verify right. this so we can go to this house right now. Yes. Um, yeah. I really don't even know why that was policy. I don't either. I, with with technology, technology the way yes. it is, I really don't. I mean, I guess it was a little bit different in 2007 as opposed to 2021. Probably not but I wouldn't with think, fingerprints so much. Right. I mean... I mean, it, it was him. Yeah. I mean, and he was renting a house two blocks away. You know, it's him. And you already have a body found. Right. Yeah, I don't... Yes, that's um, something that I think... Yeah. Yeah. That has since changed. It has, and that's something we'll discuss as well. But, um, so, in the meantime, while all this is going on behind the scenes with the police department and the family searching and all that, um, so, like we said, Shannon Christian was raped, like terribly raped um and just multiple times multiple times held captive uh, it's hard to tell really what all she went through the things that we definitely know were obviously the rapes um they poured bleach in her mouth to try to get rid of evidence right um lamarcus tried to break her neck yes um i guess this is getting towards the end of when they probably are feeling like because i they may have known at that point that the body's been found i don't know it, it hit pretty early in the yeah. news i recall that a body had been found so they lamarcus tries to break shannon's neck they there was testimony by um i think everybody in the house except him that uh, yeah. this happened so he tries to break her neck he actually does not do that right. um so he think i don't know if he thought he did or um Thought he had killed Thought her. Thought he had killed her um, because her breathing was probably so shallow that it was possibly hard to detect. But um, they wrap Shannon's body in five trash bags. Several, yes. Large, you know, black trash bags. Um, then that's a big thing, too, because LaMarcus's prints were on all of the trash bags. His prints alone, yes, I believe, were on all. his prints were on all five of the trash bags. So they put her in the trash bags. They put a bag over her head. And put her in a trash can. That's terrible. And so, basically, she suffocates to death. She was in, like, a fetal position. Yeah, almost. she was, like, curled up. In a, and they said that her knee was pressed into her cheek so hard that, basically, it, like, left a impression. impression. Um, so, she basically suffocated to death. She was also beaten. Um, just a savage... Very, savage attack very. so the medical examiner could not pinpoint her exact time of death there was basically a window between six to 12 hours um from what i remember so from sunday night to monday morning yes yes so if the fingerprint could have been verified by another person with, as soon as they found as it. soon as they found it would was there a chance that um she i think could have been that's a alive? question that you know, I, I don't know exactly, but I think that is definitely a question. And I think that's what led to some um, policy changes um, within the department. I got um, you. That that is no longer the case. They don't have to have two people to verify anything now. Um, so that is a question. Um, so. We don't know how badly she was really injured at this point, too. If she would have even, if they had a founder, would it, it would, would she have even survived? survived? And, you know, from Bleach the, poured down her throat. And the and, lack of oxygen. Yeah. I mean, it probably would have been um, slim chance um, at best. 
And then they made the change. So I think that that was definitely something good that came out of this. If there, you know, can be anything good to come out of it. Um, that's one thing. So we go into Monday morning. Um, everybody, had, they left her in the trash can to, well, they probably thought she was already dead. Um, throw away like the trash. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I can't comprehend how you would do that to another human. But um, so they all flee. All the suspects flee. Um, so I think um, Vanessa and George and Latalps go back to Kentucky. Right. And LaMarcus goes to hide out at Daphne's friend's house. Or friend's apartment, I believe. And it was empty, correct? Well, at, no. Oh, at you're, first, right. you're right. At first, right. he goes to Daphne's friend's apartment and stays there. Well, then it comes on, comes the, news on the news and that this has happened at this Chipman Street house. And they t- at, during this time, the police have gone to the house and found Shannon. Um, when so, they found her, they found her in the trash can. Yes, her eyes were open, mm-hmm. um, which they said that the the person who found her that this was absolutely just terrifying i'm to, sure and oh, i remember because i believe he had a daughter around the same age as uh shannon christian and i remember at the time um you know and watching the trials um they actually showed footage of them going into the house and i remember seeing the trash can and you could tell just by looking at it that something wasn't right it was both it was really like bad. yes it wasn't in its normal shape um so i, I can't even imagine going up to it and opening it and finding yeah. That after you've already found a burned body at the railroad tracks. Um, they know at this point they're probably not going to find her alive. Right. So they know they're, yeah. But, yeah. So, yeah, that, it was definitely, and that's another thing that you learned in um, watching the um, trial footage. They did show them go into the house. And you can just, I mean, literally the size of this house and the way it's set up, there is absolutely no way you can be doing this in this house. Mm-hmm. Nobody and somebody be in the next room and not know. There's just no way. I mean, like I said, my dogs are like in the room with the door shut, and you can still hear my dog whining. I mean, and this is a bigger house, and there's doors, so I can imagine somebody getting brutally raped and tortured and. Oh, I didn't know that was going on in the next room. Well, and also, you know, let's back up for just a moment and talk about Vanessa again. There also was testimony that when Daphne came over to pick up Shannon's clothes, that Shannon was still alive at this point, and um, Vanessa took her into the bathroom. And, You're correct. And yep. she had a gun on her yeah. in the bathroom and told her if she made any noise. You're so, right. You're right. So there's that as well. So this Monday morning, mm-hmm. we're into, what day is this? This is the 8th. Okay, so this is the 8th. The police have gotten to the house. They've found the body. They know LaMarcus Davidson is a suspect. I think he stayed with Daphne on Sunday night, the 7th. Yes, they, left the, they left the house on the 7th. Yes. Because when that, um, the fingerprint analysis guy drove by, he said it was dark, correct? Yeah. That there was nobody at the house. So... The next morning, police descend upon the house, find the body. LaMarcus is at his ex-girlfriend's friend's house. Mm-hmm. Comes up on the news. This guy's wanted in connection with two murders. two murders. And they decide to kick him out, right? Yes, they tell him he has to leave. They tell him he has to leave. Did they call the police? I don't 
No, I actually don't think so. But I'm not 100% about that. Um, they do make him leave, and he goes to an abandoned house and hides out there. Um, that's how they... Which that's is where, where he's they, caught. That's where he's arrested. Um, and when he's arrested... Yes. He had Chris Newsom's shoes. Yes. He was wearing his shoes. Which were too small for him. Yeah, that's why I said they were about three sizes too small for him. But he was still wearing them, so... Just to add insult to I, it. Yeah, I don't yeah. really totally understand that. But, um, but yeah, so I, I don't know that they called the police, but I do know they made him leave. So um, the police do find him, and they arrest him. Um, the police go to Kentucky and arrest those three um, who are staying with a friend there. None of these, uh, Vanessa and Latalvis and George, none of them had a home. None of them were employed, um, so they always were at friends' houses. They weren't, ever, you know. Yeah. They um, arrested them. Um, when they arrested them, they found um, Shannon, I believe it was her purse. Her purse, yep. And some other items that belonged to her. Um, they found a journal that belonged to Vanessa mm-hmm. that had pretty much um, told about her time in Tennessee. and How she had a great adventure. I believe it said she had one hell of an adventure. Yeah. Um, And it just didn't read like someone who was um, scared for their life or um, was remorseful at all about um, anything that had happened. Um, If you read it, it sounds very much like a... um, that she was along for the ride and that she was um thinking they're gonna be bonnie and clyde basically yeah like it was yeah i mean that she was actually glad to be a part of it it sounds that's the way it read like it's the first of many to come yeah almost. like they were gonna get by with yeah it. like they were gonna get by with it with yeah any of this yeah so um so they arrest them all and, and they put a warrant out for um eric, eric boyd. boyd yes and uh he is eventually arrested too um he is actually brought up for on federal charges. Is that right? Not state. He was brought up on carjacking charges, mm-hmm. which is was a federal crime. Mm-hmm. Um, he is not charged um, by the state of Tennessee at that time. At that time, right. Um, the rest of them face various charges from um, carjacking, aggravated rape, aggravated murder. None of them, you can go back and watch all the testimony um, the stories never line up. Everybody points the finger at each other, but it does seem at some point they kind of all point the finger at LaMarcus. LaMarcus. And I, you know, from, we can go over the evidence now, um, with Chris, um, there was DNA evidence, but it was burned. So they couldn't actually test it. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was why it was so hard to bring charges on, on Chris's murder. With Shannon, they did find LaMarcus and Latalvis's DNA on her body. So that, that's why it was relatively easy to bring charges on them. They found LaMarcus's fingerprints on the bags, the trash bags that her body was in. The bindings, they wrapped Chris's body in a comforter. There was testimony that a lady that lived at the Washington Ridge Apartments had given LaMarcus this uh, comforter set. And so she testified that that's the one that she gave him. And they used um, that to wrap And they body. used that to wrap his body in before they poured the gasoline on and set it on fire. Um, so there were a lot and of the can. And the can had uh, fingerprints. The gas can had, yes. yes, it did. And there were bindings. 
I can't remember if that was on Chris or Shannon, but they found those were used as well. He was, his ankles were bound. His ankles were bound, but they used his own belt for that. Oh, of course they did. Yeah. So, um, but there were bindings. I can't. Maybe they put over his eyes. Well, they had gagged him as well. Yeah, they had put socks in his mouth. Um, so yeah, um, there were a lot. There was a lot of evidence. We're that talking came. a ton of DNA in this case, like a ton. Well, from Shannon, yeah. Yeah. But, um, and on like some of the evidence, but a lot of it was stuff that came from the Ch- Chipman Street house right. and they had testimony to this. Yes. So there was a lot of evidence. Um, they all admitted that they were involved in the carjacking. They just all blamed it on LaMarcus and said it was his idea and they were too scared to say no. Also, I'd like to point out that when the trial was, these trials were going on, me and you were obviously like, Everybody else in the area were just, like, completely enthralled by them. I mean, you couldn't turn on the TV without hearing about this case. And it was, it, it captured you because you have this young, good-looking couple, you know, had their whole lives ahead of them, stolen in just the most brutal, tragic way possible. And something that came up in the trial that we wondered why it was never pushed any further was that there were two sources of male DNA that were found on Shannon Christian that did not match anybody that was in the house. house, Yeah. And, um, that's never brought up in anything you read online or anything like that. But if you watch the trials that was brought up and you don't know who those two sources came from, the male DNA came from. I I'm assuming the police didn't, I mean, I'm sure, I'm sure they tested it and it didn't hit, but, um, probably they thought they had their suspect. They had the five counting Eric Boyd. Yeah. Um, it is strange because, um, there is testimony that different people came to the Chipman street house besides Daphne. Daphne mm-hmm. came and picked the clothes up. Ethel Freeman, the lady that lived at the Washington, I can't talk, excuse me, Washington Ridge apartments. Um, she had come there as well at a really odd time. It was like in the middle of the night from whatever. It was just really strange. Um, apparently, LaMarcus owed her money for she had uh, given him furniture, and she'd also given him the comforter set. Um, so, And in this time, too, he was selling drugs out of the house, yes, too. He, he was, he was well, leaving frequently to go out and make drug in deals. His, uh, in one of his interviews or, you know, um, interrogations, they asked him, and he said, I'm a drug dealer, that's what I do. Yeah. So I think he was trying to say, you know, I didn't murder anybody, I'm just a drug dealer. But, yes, he definitely was. Which that comes to play in his trial. Yes, and that's something as well we'll discuss in just a few minutes. But um, but there were people who came to the house, and there was actually another lady, um, Rhonda Dukes. Rhonda Dukes. She came, I don't know that she came into the house, but she was by the house as well. So there were people, like, while this was going on, on. There were people yeah. around. It's very strange, and um, you know, you have to wonder at some point: Did anybody else know what was going on? Were there other, possibly other people involved? I think for the most part, people are satisfied that they got the five people. But you know, I think it's not out of the realm of possibility that other people are involved. I kind of feel like though, if that were the case, somebody would have talked by now. By now, yeah. Especially considered they've all turned on each other. Yeah. Um, and that's something. So I think we'll go. I think the first one that went on trial was Latalvis. Right. And he's the only one that took the stand for himself, if I remember correctly. Yep. Um, against counsel. Against, yeah, his uh, attorney advised him not to. Mm-hmm. 
And I actually, from my, I will say from my perspective, I don't think it hurt him taking the stand. I don't think he hurt himself, but I also don't think he helped himself. I think that, you know, the damage was done. Um, I think he was trying to come across as I'm a scared little brother. You know, the Marcus is my big brother and, you know, I'm just going along with what he said. I don't think that necessarily came across as the truth. I think that people were able to see, you know, you had an opportunity. If you wanted out, you could have gotten out. Oh, I believe that was even said during the trial that you had the opportunity because he was left. Yeah, they all were at some point. He was left by himself with her. Well, him and Vanessa at one point. And they even even told him that, you know, you could have been the hero in this situation. You could have done the right thing. And he didn't do it. I mean, I believe he kind of cried on the stand, but, it was, little, but I yeah. don't know that it was real tears, you know yeah. what I mean? Uh, trying to play sympathy, which had, they had none. I mean, you did not feel a bit sorry for any of the people involved in this case besides Shannon Christian and Chris Newsom. And, and their, and their families, families having to sit through all these trials. Five trials and then, well, and well then, beginning yeah. trials and then all the retrials. So uh, Latavis Cobbins goes on trial. They present all the evidence I mean, there's no getting away from that he raped her. I mean, his scene... He was involved in the carjacking. Right. I mean, they had DNA evidence. He could not get by with that. So he was sentenced to life in prison. Without parole. Without parole. Okay, so um, so LaMarcus's trial started in October of 2009. He was found guilty, and um, um, they convicted him and uh, sentenced him to the death penalty. There really wasn't much he could do to get out of these charges but one thing that happened during his trial his attorneys for whatever reason decided to um attack shannon and chris's character um, by claiming that they were coming to lamarcus to buy drugs that this was a drug deal gone bad yeah something to that nature and um there is no evidence lamarcus even claimed he had no idea who these people were like there was no, in all of the interrogation and all the interviews, he never said, yeah, I sold them drugs or they were coming to me for a drug deal. None of the people testified to this. Um, it's basically a made-up, you know, accusation that you have um, two people who are not able to defend themselves. So basically, they're just making this up to smear they the They even character. kind of implicated that the rape was consensual. Yes, they did. Yes. And I thought Gary Christian was going to yeah. lose his mind at this point. And I would not have blamed him. Um, so they, so basically they attack their character. They, you know, say they were there to buy drugs. They say Shannon uh, was willing. Sexual favors for drugs. Yeah. Basically is what they yeah. were implying. So it's just really like low, like, why would you even attempt this? Because the thing about it is LaMarcus was not going to get out of this. There were, he had his co-defendants, you know, saying he did this. He, you know, he basically initiated the whole thing he tried to break shannon's neck he raped her they all admitted this um or that he went into the room with her but they didn't know what happened yeah yeah um because they couldn't hear through the curtain um so there was really no good there they had his fingerprints on everything they there was no getting out i mean how bad does a drug deal have to go for it 
to end this way. To end this way. This well, is completely and my ridiculous. point about that is, even if they were there to buy drugs, does that make that any... Okay. Yeah. What, what happened to I, I don't understand what, they're, what they were aiming for. Yeah. Like, it just was very um, unnecessary, and I don't... It shouldn't... In my opinion, it shouldn't have been allowed. So, like we said, he was um, convicted of pretty much every single charge that was yes. brought against him and uh, sentenced to death. And then, uh, in December of 2009, George Thomas, his trial was a little bit shorter than everybody else's, I felt like. Um, he didn't take the stand. Um, he was... He seemed like the most quiet out of all of them. Um, he was also found guilty. And, like we said, as Throughout these trials, all the evidence was basically the same. I mean, there there was no changing the evidence. You you couldn't change it. Just the testimony from the defendant is basically what was different. Right. And how each lawyer approached their defense. Right. Because there was really no defense for no. it. No. Um, so he was found guilty on multiple counts, and he was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole, too. And that was on four, uh, uh, four counts of capital charges. So that would have been the rapes and the murders. Yeah. Um, so we have, um, Vanessa's trial next. She was the last one of the four original members. So Vanessa basically got immunity from the federal charges, I guess, because she, they were going to, if she testified saying Mm -hmm. what happened, Mm -hmm. but, um, that did not give her immunity from the state charges. Mm -hmm. So she was still found guilty on basically being, um, accessory to murder and she was sentenced to... 53 years with the possibility of parole after yeah i can't remember exactly but yeah she could get parole Mm -hmm. um so that was the four but actually the very first trial that took place and it was kind of a quiet deal um it was in april of 2008 eric boyd was found guilty of being an accessory to the carjacking at that time there were no other charges pursued against him and um, he was sentenced to 18 years. That has since changed. Mm-hmm. He has actually been charged with the murder of Chris Newsom. There is evidence. Part of it came from um, Lamarcus's cellmate in his book. I think that he talked about Eric Boyd's uh, role in the um, in the murder. There was also during the time. I think people just kind of felt that he his involvement was more. But they couldn't really prove it. Mm-hmm. But George Thomas actually got a reduced sentence. He has life as well now. But he testified that Eric Boyd is the, one, the one who that shot uh, Chris Newsom. Mm-hmm. And I believe that. I believe it too. Um, there is belief. You know, Chris was raped pretty bad. Um, they found gay pornography on Eric Boyd's phone. Um, there were other things that kind of led them to believe that he... He was the one involved in the rape. Yes, of Mm -hmm. Chris Newsom. Like I said, the DNA they never could test because it was burned too badly. But, um, yeah, so Eric Boyd um, finally went to trial for his further involvement, as was thought. And uh, George Thomas actually testified in the uh, state trial of Eric Boyd, and he testified that he is the one that killed Chris and this was in 2019. So Eric was sentenced to um, life in prison 
That's the automatic sentence for murder. And George Thomas had his first-degree murder conviction commuted to second-degree murder, and he will be eligible for parole after 50 years. Mm -hmm. So we have all the trials done, so you think, and um, everyone is convicted, and, you know, for the most part, I think it's justice, I guess. I don't, I mean, a life in prison without parole is pretty, pretty rough, I would say, but I think... They all say LaMarcus was the ringleader. I think that's probably true. Probably. But, um, and he, at some point, will face the death penalty. So the parents, you know, think that everything is settled and, you know, they've gotten justice for their kids. And then um, it turns out the judge for the original trials was basically a drug addict himself and um, was on drugs during the uh, trial. Um, he actually passed away, I think, in 2019. Yeah. Richard Baumgartner. Um, he, during the trials, was on painkillers. He was um, also involved in prostitution. He was like, people that he were coming to his court, he was making deals with to get pills. So, basically... To give them lesser charges, yes. basically, or lesser sentences. And if you actually watch any of the trial footage, there were times it appeared that he, like, was very sleepy yes. you know it, it, I, at the time I thought maybe that's just how he concentrated well, he was older he was he, he yeah. was an older man and looking now and knowing you know it's but actually all of his uh, rulings though were fairly straightforward there was nothing that was really questioned about his actual rulings so he was forced to resign from the bench in March of 2011 mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, so basically a lot of his cases come into question like do, do we need retrials for all this stuff, right? Right, yes. Basically, all of the defendants um, asked for retrials. Judge John Blackwood, he granted new trials for all four defendants. Um, but then it was overruled by the Tennessee Supreme Court, um, the ruling for the new trials for Cobbins, Davidson, and Thomas. It went through a bunch of rigmarole, but it, as it turned out, <laughs> in the end, um, retrials were denied for uh, Latalvis and LaMarcus, but they were granted for uh, George Thomas and Vanessa Coleman. The parents and family have to go through all this again, and it doesn't really change the outcome. No. Vanessa got pretty much the same, same sentence, sentence she had gotten, and I think George, because of his testifying in Eric Boyd's trial, he got a um, possibility of parole. Right. They go they have to go through all of that for the same same ending. So what basically comes out of all of this, there are some positive changes because there were things that could have been different. You know, it wouldn't affect what happened most likely. But the Shannon Christian Act was actually signed into law in two thousand fourteen and um it basically deals with um Character assassination. Character assassination. Like, the the defense can't just make up claims about um, people's character. You know, this includes a deceased victim or a defendant or a witness. It um, has to be, there has to be fact around it. They have to have evidence to support it. They can't just say, oh, it was a drug deal, but they have no evidence that, you know, of any kind. They right. can't. So, they can't just... Go after you can't the, just make stuff up. Yeah, you can't just yeah. attack someone's character without any kind of grounds for it to be um, true. And then there was also... The Chris Newsom Act. Yes. Uh, it was signed into law in 2014, which basically says that the judge 
can act as the 13th juror. Because after Baumgartner um, was forced to step down, went to federal prison, uh, that could be an episode all on its own, um, it basically says that a new judge, if the verdict is unanimous, can step in as the 13th juror. Right. So um, that, I think, played out in the Eric Boyd case. Right. Um, for the further charges that were brought up for Chris Newsom. Oh yeah, and there there was a talk about this that um, Lamarcus Davidson's attorneys wanted his conviction overturned because when they got a warrant to search his house, it was not printed on legal sized paper. So it cut off the yeah. Part so of the, it was uh, cut off, and so they were saying it should be thrown out because of that, and that is not allowed to be a reason for overturn. So. So, this time in Knoxville, um, well, actually in the whole United States at this point, you were getting, like, news is on all the time. All these shows, you know, cover missing people or murders and stuff like that. And so, it was kind of brought up that this was not really brought to national level attention. And um, the fact that these murders were so gruesome and just so terrifying and uh, it was brought up that it wasn't mentioned on the national stage and um that had a lot to do with what the climate was was in knoxville at the time too well i I think what you know a lot of people were thinking was that there was a racial element to the crimes because of statements that they had said what they referred to what they referred to shannon and christian as and um how they talked about them that there was a racial element that was ignored a lot of people in knoxville thought this should have been a hate crime yes what um the police department said was that they didn't believe that was the case because they think that they were just out looking for they would have done this to anybody yes that had the opportunity they would have carjacked and potentially raped and murdered anyone basically shannon and chris were in the wrong place at the wrong time Mm -hmm. so you know there was some racial tension regarding that that Mm -hmm. people thought that you know there was a racial element that was ignored Mm -hmm. um you can form your own opinion by reading the um statements from the um defendants and things that they said regardless i think it's um one of the most brutal things that I've ever read about. nightmares about it. I mean, it was very disturbing, mm-hmm. um, especially when you immerse yourself in, in it like we did. You know, mm-hmm. you basically lived it throughout all of the trials and um, just felt like just your heart just broke for these families. So you see them on TV and them having to live through this. And we, we had actually discussed, too, at one point, one of the um, prosecutors, some working in the prosecutor's office, the district attorney's office, when they showed the um, photos, mm-hmm. crime scene crime photos. Scene photos, she actually passed out. And the defense tried to use that, saying that she was basically... Trying to sway the jury. Right. I'm like, I don't really know how you would fake passing out like that. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it was just so horrific. And if I'm not mistaken, was it a pregnant... Was she pregnant? She was pregnant at the time, She yes. was pregnant at the time, and they showed the photos, and she passed out. Mm-hmm. And they tried to use that as, you know... I guess they were grasping at straws because, I mean, it was obvious... You know, this case, like I said, it brought a lot of changes. You know, you had the two acts, the Shannon Christian Act, the Chris Newsom Act, um, the good faith exception regarding the size of the paper that um, the warrant was served on, the policy at the uh, police department about two people having to um, confirm the fingerprints. So a lot of things were changed for the better. The 
effects of this crime, I think, even now, I mean, it's been, what, uh, 14 years ago since yeah. it happened. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's still very vivid. It's still, I think everyone remembers it who was in the area. Mm-hmm. Um, and you just, I don't know, there's just, the house, the uh, Chipman Street house was torn down. Um, at one point, they had had a memorial for Shannon and Chris there. I don't know that that's still there, but they did tear the house down. Mm-hmm. Um, and all of the um, defendants are in prison mm-hmm. where they belong. One thing, too, we didn't quite go into so much, but um, I think Vanessa's journal really played a part in her conviction. You know, she did, we were talked about, you know, she said she had one hell of an adventure, but she basically just wrote it out. You know, she wrote while she was in the house yes. because she wrote the things that are going on here. Like she's learned so much. And yeah. She's learned so many lessons. And if you ever get a chance to go on and look up any of her journal entries, cause she has the dates on them as well. So you know that it's going on the time these murders and rapes are going on and, She's having a grand old time. And if you ever get the chance to go on and watch any of the uh, actual footage from the trials, it, it, it it's haunting, but um, very informative. And the uh, forensic... Um, medical examiner. The medical examiner, she's just... I would say her name, but I know I would mess it I up. I would too. I know it was... I, yeah, I don't want to say it. But she was very... Her, her testimony was clear and concise, and it was the same in all four trials or five trials watch her testimony if you don't watch anything else but right. uh, you can catch it online i believe at any of the local news stations uh archives in knoxville so but yeah that pretty much um wraps up our first episode i feel like you know, this, like i said we want to start with something that's kind of personal for us we're going to be doing lots though um we're going to kind of dive into some local stories from um our hometown in virginia there are some stories that we want to get into that are very interesting and you know have also again how they affect the community and how um you know people perceive things but yeah there's a lot of stories out there that we want to get into maybe bring some light to some that aren't as well known yeah i like it i don't think we did too bad for our first uh well first I mean, dive into this yeah i mean each one will get better and better as we get more experience more, yeah. yeah more comfortable talking about it yeah um, well, I've enjoyed my time with you. Me too. It's been it's been good. I I feel like um, anyone who's out there listening, if you if you like true crime, you know you're going to really enjoy this podcast because you know we're going to bring it to you on a level that you know we're just going to talk about it, just like and, we're sitting here talking. Yeah, just talking. And if anyone has any comments they want to make or you know suggestions, suggestions or stories. questions, you know feel free to send them to us. Well. Join us next time, I guess, as we bring you stories one murder at a time. All right. We'll see you then.